So we've been in this series, God Never Said That. And I think we can relate to some of the horror of it. Like, have you ever had the experience where somebody has put words in your mouth, things that you didn't say, but they said you said them, and you're like, hey, 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 I never said that, right? That's exactly what we're going through, except it's much worse when, when it's about God, because when we put words in God's mouth, then what we're talking about is the God of our imagination, not the God of revelation. So we need to know exactly who God is and what he has said. So the phrase that we are going to tackle today is this one right here. It's God just wants me to be happy. God just wants me to be happy. Now, we know that's not true because it's 2020. <laughs> like in the sermon, I feel like that's obvious, right? <laughs> like, oh my goodness, I saw on Facebook yesterday the idea that the uh, phrase 2020 will now become a byword in our culture. Like some of you are old enough to remember when we picked up the phrase going postal, right? There was a postal worker that went back into the post office where he worked, shot everyone up, and now it's like, hey, that, you're going postal, man, you know? And, and now 2020, like, so we're going to be, hey, your honor, I'm so sorry. I, I thought I had control of the car, and then it went 2020, right? <laughs> it's just going to be going to be a thing now. So anyway, does God just want us to be happy? So what we're going to do is the same, similar thing to last week, where we'll look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's begin by looking at the good, because all of these phrases, remember Pastor Jared told us that there's, there's a mix, there's a kernel of truth in most of these. And in this one, there is some good stuff to redeem. It's that God does love us, and he does want the best for us. He doesn't want us to be miserable. This speaks of the omnibenevolence of God. I, I use that phrase because I want you to think I'm a good pastor. And I use big words. <laughs> uh, Omnibenevolence. Omni means all. Benevolence means loving. It's the all-loving nature of God. He is incredibly loving towards us. He is good toward us. And that's in contrast to Satan himself. Look at some of these passages. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a lion, a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Or, or John 10.10, 10, this is Jesus speaking. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, so, so that's Jesus' heart towards us, not to make us miserable, to, but that we have life and abundant life. There's a kernel of truth in this phrase that God wants us to be happy. On the other hand, there's a lot of bad in it. Let's talk about some of the bad in this phrase. If we are honest, we became Christians because we wanted good stuff. At the end of the day, we wanted forgiveness from our sins. We wanted the promise of heaven. We wanted Christian community. Listen, Christian community is awesome because you all, you all are obligated to like me even though I'm not likable. You're on the hook. Like, thank you, God, for that. We're getting stuff by becoming Christians. We're convinced it's going to help our marriages. It's going to help us raise kids. If you're an addict, I'm convinced it'll help me stay clean. And so we come to Christianity because it gives us stuff. We didn't, we didn't come to Christianity so God can jack with our lives. That's not it. 
And so what we end up with then is this mentality that God is like a cosmic butler. I just ring the little prayer bell and I expect him to come running and saying, what do you want, sir? How can I make you happy? And that's our image of God. And so that rules my, that thinking rules my relationship with God, that rules my thinking towards the universe, that it's all about what makes me happy, not what makes God happy. What happens in that process is that we deify our desires. Listen, this is really important. It's not that our God becomes our happiness. It's that our happiness becomes our God. It's not that our God becomes our happiness. It's that our happiness becomes our God. And so this phrase that God just wants me to be happy becomes this catch-all category where we put in a lot of things, where we're playing ventriloquist with God. We're putting words in his mouth. And sometimes it comes out like this. I just really believe God is leading me to fill in the blank. I encountered this a lot when I was doing college ministry. A lot of times I would have a college guy come up to me. I really believe God is leading me to, and I'd say, hey, let me stop you right there. Let me guess. Ask out the hottest girl in the room, right? I was right 90% of the time, you know? It's interesting how God always led in that direction. Very, very interesting. Or we, we do this, you know, we can laugh at that, right? But, but we do this in issues of marriage today. We are convinced that marriage is there to make us happy, but what if marriage is not to make you happy, but to make you holy? What if it's not for your sanctification, but for your satisfaction? That comes from Gary Thomas's book, great, great book. But we ignore all that, and we expect that marriage is there for marital bliss. Except that we live marriage out in a broken, fallen world, so we don't end up with marital bliss. We end up unhappy, and yet happiness is my God, and so therefore I should divorce. Now, there are two biblical reasons for divorce. They're not biblical encouragements towards divorce, they're biblical permission, and it's adultery and abandonment. Most divorce doesn't happen as a result of those. It happens because I'm not happy. And Christians do it as well. And they and will engage with Christians as pastors. And they're like, hey, I believe God really wants me to divorce. And it's like, you realize you have no biblical, you're outside the Bible on this one. Yeah, but I believe God wants me to be happy. You hear it? God just wants me to be happy. And so we use that then to ignore scriptures and put words in God's mouth. What we do is we deify our desires. It's not that our God becomes our happiness. It's that our happiness becomes our God. And that's bad. That's bad. All right, so there's a good side. There's a bad side to this phrase. But now what I want to do is talk about the ugly truth. The ugly truth. I've gone way too far in a sermon already without quoting C.S. Lewis. Let me fix that, all right? As perhaps you know, I haven't always been a Christian. I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. It's one of the more famous Christian authors ever doesn't recommend Christianity to make you feel comfortable or happy. What, what is going on here? Well, let me explain. I'm going to give you four ugly truths. And the first one is this. The universe isn't about you. The universe isn't about you. 
Let me give you the big picture from the Bible. You're like, his Bible has pictures? No. No, like the big story of the Bible. The grand story is this, that it is cosmic warfare. Satan rebelled. He led a third of the angels astray. They became demons. We, as all humanity, joined him in that rebellion. We are all condemned. We are all lost. Christ came to redeem he came to redeem us. Now, the kingdom is on the march. We're supposed to spread the gospel. That's what that door video is all about. We're supposed to spread the gospel so that we raise up more worshipers for Jesus. Because he is coming back. He will wrap it all up, take us Christians home, all to his glory. Christ will be magnified. That's the, that's the grand story right there. And it's playing out through all history. It's all about the glory of God. And we just happen to be caught up in it. Now, that's not how we think about it. But I have to let you know, the Bible is about God, not about us. History is about God, not about us. The universe, the created order is about God. It's not about us. We ignore all that. And we think God exists simply to make us happy. That it is God's job to be up there fussing and fretting, thinking about how can I maximize their pleasure and minimize their pain. Think of it this way. For a good part of World War II, Dwight D. Eisenhower was a general. Was, he was like the chief architect of the Allies' war effort. Okay? Now I want you to think for a moment what went through General Eisenhower's brain a lot. What was he thinking? What were his plans? What was his perspective? What, was, what were his goals during that time? Imagine that you were a private in the European theater. And you were part of that campaign. If you were that private, do you think it would be your expectation that General Eisenhower was sitting around all day fussing and fretting, thinking how he could make you happy? how he could maximize your pleasure and minimize your pain? Or did he have a war to fight and he was calling on his soldiers and it would cost us? Granted, now our God, his mind is infinite and now you know he is omnibenevolent, right? And so yes, he does think of us and yes, he does care about us and want the best for us, but hopefully it washes your perspective a tad to say the universe is not about you. That's the first ugly truth. The second rolls off of it. The universe is broken. The universe is broken. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 15, and then we'll add in verse 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, it starts off by saying, look, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you're unhappy 
in a broken world. Like, don't act like something strange is happening to you. Where's this coming from? You're in a battle. Battles are hard. This is a broken world. See, surprise is an issue of expectations. You expect one thing, you get another, and you're surprised. Maybe our expectations are off. I remember when I was young and married. We didn't have a lot of money. Shannon came to me and said, hey, so, so we didn't go out to the movies very often is the point. So Shannon came to me and said, hey, there's a new Harrison Ford movie. Would you like to go see it? Now, I, I love man movies, all right? Like if somebody doesn't get killed in the first five minutes, it's a chick flick. Walk out, right? It's not good, right? So I'm thinking Harrison Ford movie. Absolutely. Right? We got Star Wars. We got Indiana Jones. We got The Fugitive. He was the original Jack Ryan character in the Tom Clancy stuff. Absolutely. So the year was 1995, and the movie was Sabrina. <laughs> yeah. Ricky was not happy. Total chick flick, romantic comedy. Nobody died in the first five minutes. Nobody died in the whole movie, okay? Like, I was not happy. Now, I have since gone back and watched the movie. And can I tell you, it's actually a pretty good movie. But at the time, I didn't like it. And the reason why is because I had different expectations. My expectations were not being met. Now, here's the question. Why do we expect hedonistic bliss in a broken, fallen world? That seemed like a wrong expectation when I put it like that. The reason we expect it is because we're made for the Garden of Eden. We're made for paradise. But you understand now we are living far east of Eden. We are actually living in a dystopian reality. Why do we expect hedonistic bliss? We ought to expect suffering in a broken world. Maybe the problem isn't with the movie. Maybe the problem is with our expectations. Let's go back and look at the passage. The passage says that we should expect suffering. After all, it refers to Christ's suffering. That is God himself when he took on flesh and walked in this world. He suffered. Why would we expect less? And he suffered so that he could be glorified and so that he could take us with him out of this mess. And that's coming, but not yet. And so we're stuck in between in this broken, fallen world. And so the passage says... Don't suffer for being an idiot. Okay, that, that's my translation. But what it says is, don't suffer for being a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. And the point is that much of our suffering in this broken world is our own dang fault. It's self-inflicted. So if you're up to your eyeballs in debt, you're not suffering for Christ. You're suffering because you've made a string of bad decisions. And you're experiencing the consequences of that. Or some people hold up a sign that says, God hates fags. And then they get persecuted and they go, well, we're suffering for Jesus. No, you're suffering because you're a jerk. And you're not representing Christ well at all. And that's why, don't blame that on Jesus. Some of our suffering is self-inflicted. And so the passage is saying, don't do that. But even if you avoid that, evidently in a broken world, you'll suffer for doing good. You'll suffer for lovingly reaching out to people in the name of Christ. Some pastors don't tell you that part. They want to sell their books. They want to get a big following. They want to be on TV. And so what they'll tell you is this. God just wants you to be happy. But that's not true. 
So that's the second ugly truth, is that the universe is broken. The third ugly truth is this, that God's goal is your holiness, not your happiness. Holiness is ultimate happiness. Make no mistake. Holiness is long-term, solid, real, pure happiness. Remember, Jesus said he came to give us life and life abundantly. That's what he wants for us. But I want you to be clear that holiness is pure joy. God wants better stuff for you, bigger stuff. Look again at Lewis said it so perfectly. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. God wants the better stuff for us, the bigger stuff for us. What is it that he wants for us? Uh, You know, like, I would just love to know, what is God's will for me? What does he want for me? Oh, glad you asked. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses three through five. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, God's will for us is our sanctification, our holiness. For this is God's will for you, your happiness, that you learn how to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. Didn't say that. It's all about our sanctification and holiness. What's that mean? I just threw together a list for you here to help you understand a little bit. Sanctification and holiness, it means that we are set apart for God, that we are made into holy ones. That's the word for saints. Meaning that if you are a Christian, you are a saint, biblically speaking. You are prepared for eternity, that you're solidly connected to God, that you're completely pure, not in yourself, in the work of Christ, you've been forgiven. That's what it means. That you are secure in the love of God and you are full of love for God. That you're finding your joy and your pleasure in him. You are solid. You are unshakable. That is sanctification in holiness. Or, or would you rather just go on making mud pies in the slums? Now, you might have different goals for your life. I would just point out you're not God. And, and these are his goals for you. And the reason these are his goals is because he is a really, really good daddy. He's a great daddy. The idea that God just wants me to be happy means that God should give me whatever I want 24-7, 365. And what that makes is for some really spoiled children. Think about it. When parents give their children whatever they want and demand 24-7, 365, that is bad parenting and it spoils the kids. We know that. Look, if you just want your kid to be happy, give them sugar. All the time. That's what the kid wants. That's what will make the kid happy. And you know what you give them when they grow up? Meth. It's the same concept. It'll make them happy. Temporarily. It'll wreck their life. But that's what the kid wants. Make them happy. 
Is that the kind of father God is? No, it is not. Preach, kid. Right? Spoiled. I don't know if that was a confession or, or what. Oh, my goodness. What God wants for us is he wants us to be mature. He wants us to be healthy and growing. He wants us sanctified. He wants us holy. And we know that. That we, as parents, we don't just dance to the tune of our kids' happiness. And the reason why is because we're parents, not grandparents. Right? Because we have two different roles with two different goals. And the grandparents just want to make the kids happy. But the parents, they, as parents, we have goals for our kids. We, we have vision for them. We want the best for them. So we say, no, you can't have candy. Yes, you need to do your chores. And if you don't, I will discipline you. Which means I will intentionally make you unhappy because I love you. And I want the best for you. And I want you to grow. See, God is a really good dad. We happen to call him God the Father. Notice we don't call him God the Grandfather. There's a hint in that, okay? There's a hint in that. And, and so parents' goal is growth and development and maturity, and, and, and God wants us to have sanctification and holiness. That's his goal. Now, that's the third ugly truth. The fourth one is this, that the primary tool for holiness is suffering, not happiness. You see, when you look throughout the Bible, comfort is regularly the tool of Satan. Suffering is regularly the tool of God. And one of the illustrations that God uses to draw that out throughout scriptures is the refiner's fire. And the idea is that the way you purify gold or silver is you take a crucible like this and you put the ore in there and it's a mix of the precious metal like gold and impurities and what you can see you heat that thing up till it all melts and you keep heating it up intense extreme excruciating heat and what happens is the impurities rise to the top it's called dross and you can skim it off and then you heat it some more and you skim it off and God says, by the way, that's what I'm going to do to you. Thanks, God. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. In Zechariah 13, he's talking about three groups of people, and the third are his people. Look at this. In verse 9, he says, And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. Evidently, this process is proof that we belong to God. We're his people and it results in us calling out and saying he's our God. And that's because the, the process is not to punish us, but to purify us. Right? All, as Christians, all our punishment was poured out on Christ on the cross. There's no more punishment. Instead, he's purifying us. He turns up the heat. And when he turns up the heat, what we usually do is go, life is miserable. Life is meaningless. <laughs> What's happening in that moment is your false God, your idol is being threatened. See, idols are not just some wooden statue that we bow down before and worship wrongly. 
Idols are good things that we make into ultimate things. We make them into functional saviors. We make them into false saviors. The problem is they're not a savior. They ruin our lives. They're substitute saviors. But when those things are threatened in our life, when the heat gets turned up, we freak out. We don't like that. Because we are a mix of allegiances in that lump of ore. We've got gold and impurities mixed together. And God applies the heat and the dross rises and we go, oh, there's your idol right there. See that? Because you're freaking. That's your idol. And then we can skim that off and cling to Jesus Christ alone. It's the process God is doing in our life. Now, if that's true, look at the same. If indeed suffering is a tool in the hand of God, then some suffering in the life of a Christian indicates God's presence, not his absence. But we usually go the other way, right? If I'm suffering, where are you, God? God left me. Well, no, maybe he's actually purifying you. That's his presence. I imagine right about now, a lot of you are going, I don't like this sermon at all. I want a different sermon. (laughs) I understand. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to rejoice in suffering. (laughs) That's funny to say. So I listen, but it's true. It's biblically true. Look at Romans chapter five, verses one through five. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd stop there. That means there's no punishment. We have peace with God. It's not about punishment. Then it goes on to say, through him, we also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You know what that part means? The universe isn't about you. It's all about God's glory. It's about him. Now look what it says next. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, he is sanctifying us. He's making us holy because he's a really good dad and we ought to rejoice in that. Okay, think about this. How many of you would love to have endurance and character and hope and we say, yes, me. And so I say, good, suffer, changing my answer, right? Like, I'm out. But there it is, endurance, character, and hope. That's the offer. By the way, Have you ever heard the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle? You've heard that, right? That's another thing God never said. And and it fits right under this phrase. Because you understand suffering is when God gives you more than you can handle. The good news is it's not more than he can handle. And what it causes us to do is run to him and cling to him and our faith grows. Hopefully. Hopefully our faith grows. Because the Puritans had a phrase. They said the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. And so the same, have you noticed, the same trial, the same suffering produces bitterness in one and beauty in another. And so when the suffering comes, when the heat is applied to that crucible, you can run to and defend your idol and you'll get bitter. Or you can run to and cling to God, 
and you'll get better. You'll either get bitter or get better. The comforting news is that he walks with us in the fire. So, so it's not just that we have some distant God who's like sadistically applying heat to purify us and he stays distant from the whole process. No, no, no. He goes into it with us. He did it in Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Absolutely. But then, of course, it came to mind for me the story from the Old Testament about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who would not bow down to the emperor's idol. And the emperor said, hey, if, you don't, if you don't worship this idol, we're going to throw you in that furnace. They heated it up hotter. More flames will throw you in. He said, no way, we won't. We won't bow down to the idol. God will save us, and if not, even if he doesn't, we won't bow down to it. Whew, threw him right in the furnace. After they're in there, you remember the story, right? They go, hey, hey, hey. Didn't we throw three guys in there? There's a fourth guy in there. Do you see him? They look, yeah, there's four guys walking around in there. Who was that? I believe that was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, the second person of God, the Son of God, eternal Son of God, entered into the flames with them. And what God was saying in that moment is, I will not keep you from the fire, but I will walk in the fire with you. And I will comfort you the whole time. It's a great story. God will be with you. Now, there are four ugly truths that we just covered. The universe isn't about you. The universe is broken. God's goal is your holiness, not your happiness. And for your holiness, he often uses suffering as his tool. But let me end with this. The most difficult paths lead to the most beautiful destinations. Uh, Back in the day, I used to do a lot of backpacking. Then I had kids. Now I don't have a life. That's okay. So, but I used to, and I didn't go camping. I didn't like camping. Camping's where you're near your car on a little site and all that. And if you enjoy that, more power to you, you heathens. But um, I, I like backpacking. You put it all on your back and you're going back into the pristine for days and you don't see anyone. And the reason why I did that, it was hard, okay? But it was worth it because the most difficult paths lead to the most beautiful destinations, you see pristine sights that you never see before. I remember uh, at one point, Shannon and I were backpacking in the northern Rockies, up in, in the northern part of Colorado. We were in the Mummy Range. And we were back there for days. We didn't see anyone hiking up a mountain. It was tough. It's tough because I had all the gear on my back, and Shannon had a fanny pack that size. <laughs> she called me her Sherpa. <laughs> Uh, it's kind. I still have all the load. But anyway, so we, we went up this mountain and, and it was difficult. I'll tell you what, though. We woke up one morning in our tent. We're like, what is that sound? It was this weirdest sound. I've never heard it before. It almost sounded like a flock of birds or something. So we poke our head out and it is an, a huge, an enormous herd of elk coming down the mountainside right toward us. And so I, I went out my tent. I sat on this mountainside with this gorgeous landscape in front of me, and I had my quiet time with the Lord as this herd of elk just passed right by me. You don't get that in a campsite. The most difficult paths lead to the most beautiful destinations, and that's what God's doing in our life. The destination is your sanctification, your holiness, and it's beautiful, and it's worth it. The other destination he has for us is heaven. I'm going to be talking about heaven in two weeks. I want to give you just just a whisper of it right now. Look at Romans 8.18. I'll end with this. 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I look forward to that. Let me pray. Father in heaven, if we are honest before you right now, we want you to be our cosmic butler. We want to ring that bell and we want our happiness to dictate to you what should be done in this universe. And in that desire, we elevate ourselves that we say we are God and you must obey us. And that is exactly how we got in this mess to begin with. And so we we repent of that. We acknowledge you are God. We are not. You are holy. We want to become more like you. You have our good, our sanctification in mind. And, And as a good, good father, you are developing us and taking us exactly where you want to be, where you want us to be. So, Father, would you allow us to lean into the idea of Christ being magnified in the universe, Christ being magnified in our lives, even when it's difficult, even when there's suffering, for we say that this suffering is not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Take us there, Lord, please. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.